you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody Award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Lou Dobbs Podcast, the Great America Show. That's right, Great America. I believe America is great. It has been and always will be. Here, you and I will hear the thinking of elected officials and politicians. This podcast will take account of both political parties and do its best to keep America great. I've always believed that education is the single strongest force for equality in our society. We'll hear from educators, parents, teachers, even from politicians and academics who are in the fight to ensure, of course, the best opportunities for all Americans. And we're here to ensure that all Americans have an equal and square shot at the American dream. We'll focus on the issues and events that matter most to working Americans, small business owners, the American family, and the governors of our great nation. I'm one of the millions and millions of Americans who's had the good fortune to live the American dream. Both my parents worked and taught me the value of hard work to respect anyone who worked, no matter their job or their pay, and to be grateful for all that America has afforded generations of Americans, opportunity for education and work and safety for their families and security for this nation. To be grateful for our freedom, our individual liberties, the freedom to fulfill our dreams to succeed. We sometimes stumble, we sometimes fail, but we always strive to be deserving of our many gifts and opportunities, to try hard to help our country and our families, to build on all the achievements of generations of Americans who preceded us. I've been in the public arena for more than four decades now. I've always worked as a journalist, opinion host of TV and radio shows. I've authored columns and a few books, among them War on the Middle Class, Upheaval, Exporting America, Independence Day, and the Trump Century. All deal with life in America, work, politics, and economics. Central to this podcast will be the welfare of American workers, their families, and of course, the threats to our way of life and this great republic. So let's begin taking up the issues that matter most to Americans and this great nation. We'll start with the single greatest challenge and threat to U.S. national security and global stability. Of course, I'm talking about communist China. China's Air Force is carrying out an unprecedented number of large-scale, intrusive, and provocative missions into the Taiwan defense zone. And the Chinese Navy continues to assert Chinese dominion over the South China Sea and a number of islands that are claimed by a number of Asian nations in addition to China. And the U.S. Navy is continuing its freedom of navigation missions to support our allies 
and to keep shipping lanes open to Western fleets and commercial transport of critical global oil supplies. And as tensions rise in the South China Sea, the Chinese are building their nuclear arsenal at a rapid rate. They're quickly catching up to Russia, to Europe, and of course, the United States in space launches. And China appears to have taken the lead in development of hypersonic missiles. And in their most recent test, shocked Western intelligence agencies when they flew a hypersonic missile around the planet, a missile that missed its target by only 25 miles. U.S. news media is paying little attention to these developments, focused as they are more on, we'll call them cultural issues here at home, and of course, supporting the Biden administration agenda, no matter how wrongheaded or subversive of U.S. interests, whether in economic, social, or national security policies. But no one studies the communist Chinese threats to this country and our allies with a deeper understanding of their motives and strategic goals than does Gatestone Institute's Gordon Chang. Gordon is a lawyer, author, columnist. He worked and lived in China and Hong Kong for almost two decades, and I've known him for the better part of 20 years. Gordon, it's great to have you on the show. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. This is just such a great honor for me, Lou. Um, yes, you're right. The United States is not acknowledging it. Um, Biden talks about China as a competitor. China is not a competitor. It's not even an adversary. It's an enemy. And we know that, Lou, because that's what China calls us. In May 2019, it, uh, People's Daily, the most authoritative publication in China, carried a piece that declared a quote-unquote people's war. In August, there were a number of pieces that uh, in People's Daily and Global Times, which People's Daily controls, which went after the U.S. in the most malicious terms. There's no question about it. China believes that they have a war against us. They want to subvert our society. They want to take down America. And we're not acknowledging it. Not acknowledging it, but uh, our intelligence agencies, our Department of Defense of all people, absolutely stunned when the Chinese launched a hypersonic missile and it went entirely around the globe and then fired to hit a target. It missed that target by only 24 miles. And our intelligence agency were sufficiently brave to admit they had no idea that they could do that, the Chinese. And I, it was an admission that I found almost as stunning as the fact that the Chinese do have a hypersonic missile. Well, this highlights that the U.S. intelligence community has completely failed when it comes to China. And it's completely failed for a number of reasons. But the most important one, though, is political direction, that we've had a series of presidents, especially the current one, who doesn't see China as the main threat. Um, you know, Biden talks about climate change. You know, Obama talked about Russia. Well, it's not climate change. It's not Russia. It's China. Uh, China is so much more of a threat to the U.S. And we didn't see this hypersonic glide weapon because we didn't want to see it. Well, we know that, that some of our uh, military industrial complex is involved in building a hypersonic missile manufacturing one. Uh, the design race is obviously on, at least within the complex. But 
right now, there is no indication whatsoever that we have anything remotely competitive to what the Chinese Communist Party just demonstrated worldwide. Yes, you're right. Um, even before we knew that they could orbit something, we were years, probably a half decade behind what we thought China had. Now, you know, we could be much as much as a decade. And remember, this hypersonic glide weapon actually can drop down with virtually no notice and nuke an American city. So we don't have any warning um, that this is coming. And clearly, we are now very much at risk. You know, we have ballistic missiles. They got nuclear weapons at the tips. Um, this can deter China. But deterrence is eroding because China is miles ahead of us. I, I think it would be an interesting poll, don't you, to ask the American people if they think this president would respond to an attack by the Chinese against the United States. I, I think there's great doubt out there that this president is capable of protecting the interest of American citizens, the interest of the United States. We, we know that he isn't. I mean, just look at the fall of Kabul. Um, we saw a president who purposely decided not to rescue and save American citizens who were trapped in Afghanistan. And now we're getting all sorts of excuses from him, from the secretary of state. Um, this is one of the worst episodes in American history. This is just shameful, Lou. And this has uh, adverse geopolitical consequences that we will feel for years and years and years as we've emboldened enemies and we've disheartened our friends and our allies. And the nation is uh, all but uh, ignoring it. And when I say the nation, I'm referring to the left-wing national media, ignoring the, uh, the threat that China poses to the United States even as we read the headlines that a, a man and his wife, uh, a federal contractor, uh, sought to sell uh, secrets about the submarines, nuclear submarines, to an unknown nation. Uh, we all have some suspicions, of course, about which nation. But this is the kind of thing that's going on almost uh, weekly. And it's a and they did so, they say, out of a motivation because they didn't like Donald Trump, uh, that uh, that displeasure on their part uh, extended, obviously, their hatred of America to do such a thing, to even contemplate it, let alone carry it out, which they had begun doing your reaction to the threat that China poses to the United States and the reasons why our national media are so so impervious, uh, so unaware, or at least in denial about those threats. Yeah. You know, we need to be clear. You know, Chinese leaders have been telling us for more than a decade that they believe that China is the world's only sovereign state, which would make the United States subservient, essentially a colony. Um, and we know that China um, has tried to uh, foment uh, violence on American streets, they did that last year. That's more than just subversion, Lou. That's an act of war. But also, we got to remember that uh, however COVID-19 started, um, Xi Jinping turned this into a biological weapon by lying about contagiousness, by pressuring other countries to um, not impose travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China. So he deliberately spread this disease beyond China's borders. 
That's about 730,000 American deaths now, yep. 4.9 million deaths worldwide. Fentanyl deaths last year, Lou, about 53,000. That was purposeful on the part of the Chinese regime, which has backed these criminal gangs. So China's killing Americans, and yeah. I don't Let understand me. why this media doesn't understand what's occurring. And, and to Gordon's point, when he talks about fentanyl, the most dangerous drug uh, being produced anywhere, uh, there are variants of it that are actually even more uh, lethal, uh, believe it or not, uh, than the fentanyl that they are based upon. But all of them are being shipped to us courtesy of the, of the CCP. The communist Chinese are shipping those deadly drugs into our society and anyone uh, who doubts that there is for a absolutely uh, declared purpose of disrupting the U.S. society and killing as many Americans are naive in, indeed. Uh, go on, Gordon. I just wanted to make it very clear that that is a Chinese uh, import. Oh, it's, it certainly is, Lou, because the Communist Party runs a near total surveillance state. And these fentanyl gangs are international. They're far flung. They are well organized. They are visible to the Communist Party. And there's also suspicions that the party actually takes a percentage of the take. Um, but in any event, we know that China um, also money launders for these fentanyl gangs through Chinese state banks. I mean, the list goes on and on of Beijing's direct involvement in this. So last year, we, we don't know exactly how many people died, but the estimate is so far 53,000 from fentanyl. And we should consider every fentanyl death a murder. And the murderer is the People's Republic of China. The idea that the Chinese can continue to get away with this and there to be no reaction, no discussion, no hasty a national security meeting called by the president of the United States, uh, no congressional hearings, oh, but we will have a hearing on January 6th, I'm, uh, uh, I'm told, the January 6th uh, demonstrations and, and riots. Uh, it, this is a country right now in absolute denial of what China, China threatens. What are your thoughts about what we should do? We should be cutting trade. We should be prohibiting investment. We should not permit, uh, permit uh, technical cooperation agreements with China. So, for instance, we shouldn't be teaching the Chinese how to manipulate the coronavirus to make it even more deadly to humanity. Um, we shouldn't allow China to buy our tech companies. We should not permit China's agents to operate on our soil. We shouldn't allow China to use its nationals to commit espionage against us. And we must demand reciprocity. If we can't, for instance, have a Reagan Institute in China, they shouldn't have Confucius Institutes in our country. And they should never have these Confucius classrooms, about 500 of them, in our secondary schools. Um, we need to have a complete reevaluation of our China policies. President Trump started to do that. He broke five decades of misguided engagement policy. But the Biden administration has gone back to what clearly didn't work and what is clearly dangerous to the United States. And to highlight what Gordon has just said, uh, in 2019, President Trump ended the Chinese uh, conglomerate uh, container company and storage company, Costco, 
from taking over a terminal uh, in Long Beach, uh, California. That Long Beach port, by the way, uh, is the second largest on the West Coast. It is also the number one port uh, for the uh, import of Chinese goods. It is critically important uh, to the Chinese. A third of their economy, which, by the way, uh, is based on, of all things, trade. He stopped it. And now we learn President Biden has uh, turned a, a, a blind eye to the fact that the Chinese now have uh, influence through a management company uh, owned by the, uh, the, the Australians. It, give us your, your sense of what is happening and why and how that could possibly happen on such an important national security issue. Yeah. China Ocean Shipping Company, which is better known as Costco, um, was not permitted during the Trump administration to buy terminals at Long Beach. Um, and what happened was Macquarie, an Australian company, um, was able to purchase it. Um, but then um, Macquarie turned around and gave the management contract to Costco, which was prohibited from uh, operations at the port. And Costco right now is managing that port. And that gives Beijing the ability to sabotage operations in the port because no company in China, especially a state-owned company like Costco, can um, ignore a Communist Party demand. So we are at risk at a critical port. Um, and as you point out, um, this is the port that handles the trade with Asia, uh, specifically China. So I, I don't know how the Biden administration could permit this to continue, um, but it has. And, and as we're talking, there is no initiative, no public uh, discussion even, of a response to the belligerence, the ongoing belligerence uh, of the Chinese Communist Party in this country, whether it's Costco and its efforts to take over ports and to uh, position themselves for military advantage throughout uh, the Pacific, uh, and indeed moving uh, toward Europe itself. Uh, we are at the very, it seems to me, the very nexus of what is a, a, an expansionary policy that is quickly turning uh, into a, a, an assault. And, and the refusal to acknowledge that, whether in academia, in our national media, or whether in the Capitol, in the Senate, uh, the House, or as you say, the, the White House uh, and President Biden. Americans should be deeply disturbed by all of this, should they not? Yes, and we have a chance to rectify this. That's November of next year, as well as November of 2024. Um, we need to hold our leaders accountable. And Biden is not defending us from China. Just to give you an example, in July of last year, President Trump withdrew from the World Health Organization, which helped China propagate its false narrative that COVID-19 was not transmissible. Of course it was. It was the most highly contagious disease we've seen in a long time. So what did Biden do after taking the oath of office on January 20? On that very day, he put us back into the WHO. And remember, Lou, um, Biden had a two-hour phone call with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in February. And by Biden's own admission, he did not raise the question of the origins of COVID-19 
even once. I, I, this is just a complete failure no. to protect the American people. Let's lay this out in very clear terms. Over 700,000 Americans killed in uh, the COVID-19, or as I call it, the Wuhan virus uh, pandemic. It was without any doubt, irrespective of the cause uh, and the origin of the virus, it was, it was known to the Chinese communist Xi Jinping that that virus was deadly. It was very transmissible, very contagious, and it was on its way to every nation in the, in the world. And there was no warning. And that warning could have come three months before the first known fatality in the United States. That is, by any definition, murder. Uh, you can call it what you will, but the Chinese are morally responsible for the deaths of five million people around the world and more than 700,000 Americans. And no one seems to want to say that out loud. Why? You know, I, I think that it's very difficult for Americans to grasp the concept of evil, to grasp the notion that there are evil regimes around the world. And Lou, you're absolutely right. Um, China committed murder because it deliberately spread this disease beyond its borders. COVID-19 should never have escaped the central part of China. It should have been an ep epidemic confined to that country. It has, however, become a global pandemic because the Chinese leaders lied about contagiousness. They forced other countries to take arrivals from China. If you go back to January 31st of last year, President Trump imposed those travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China. And he took grief from and, and severe criticism from Beijing and from somebody who was running for president at the time, um, whose name is Biden. Yeah. Um, yeah. Remember, Biden called uh, President Trump xenophobic for trying to protect the American people from this disease. Americans seem to be more outraged, uh, some half of, the, of us, over the fact that the president was saying it was a China virus instead of a COVID virus. They thought that was offensive. And the Chinese were objecting to such harshness of language. In fact, it was the China virus. In fact, it was the Wuhan virus. And in fact, I declared it a pandemic. Think of this. I declared it a pandemic on my show two weeks before the WHO and the CDC would do so, even though then it was already in some uh, 15 countries, possibly more uh, at that point, which is the definition, the very definition of a pandemic. And they did so because of the massive influence of the WHO and the condescension of the CDC toward the Chinese that they didn't want to offend China by doing so. Your thoughts? Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, when we go back and look at the timeline of what occurred, you know, you have President Trump recognizing the danger. You have President Trump taking measures. Um, and clearly, um, you know, you have an American media and the Democratic Party criticizing him for these measures that ultimately saved American lives. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I don't know what to say, Lou. This isn't a tragedy. This is partly an American-made tragedy because of American political elites 
could not understand what President Trump was saying. And you're absolutely right. We should be calling this the Communist Party virus, the Xi Jinping virus, Wuhan virus. But clearly, it was murder, as you say. This was every death outside China should be considered a murder. And with that, we're in a Cold War. And it's a war that's being waged uh, viciously by the Chinese uh, as we speak. Flights, overflights of, uh, of CCP warplanes over the skies of Taiwan. Uh, the, the threats, the direct threats to Taiwan. And the question is, what will the United States do if the Chinese were to try to make good on those threats? Do you have do you have any doubt that the Chinese mean to take control of Taiwan in I will call it the near future? Uh, I think that they will try to woo one way or another. Um, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, has been very clear. He said Taiwan is a problem that cannot be passed down from generation to generation, and he made the taking of Taiwan a core element of his legitimacy as the ruler of China. Uh, he may not be able to do it, um, but he's certainly going to try with all his might because he's staked his rule on absolutely doing so. And uh, he is at, right now, according to all reports from China, engaged in, in rewriting the history uh, of China and, and writing himself large into its future as what will be nothing less than an emperor, a dictator for life. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. Um, as, as they say in, in, um, in China, the future is certain. The past always gets rewritten. And Xi Jinping is even more relentless in his rewriting of this. Um, he has changed, for instance, this whole notion of the reform era, which began in late 1978. He's uh, made his father, who was a Communist Party senior leader, um, responsible for good things that occurred. Deng Xiaoping, who was generally mm -hmm. credited with this, is put into the background. Um, but, you know, the more important thing is that Xi Jinping has been rewriting Chinese history to rehabilitate Mao Zedong, uh, the founder of the People's Republic the man who was responsible for anywhere between 30 to 70 million deaths of Chinese, um, the person who's responsible for more killings and more death than any other figure in history, because Xi Jinping reveres Mao. He's trying to return China to something that Mao would be familiar with, a total surveillance state, one which the Communist Party absolutely controls. Um, this is a very dangerous development, Lou, especially because Xi Jinping starts to see a closing window of opportunity because of the problems in China right now. And he believes that he must move in order to achieve what he believes are China's historic missions. And he needs to do that in his mind while China still has the ability to intimidate others. As interesting as it will be to, to read uh, Xi Jinping's rewrite of uh, Taiwan's history, uh, the future of Taiwan now, very much in question. Uh, is it your is it your judgment that the United States will support Taiwan fully uh, and uh, align itself, if necessary, militarily to do so? 
I don't know what the Biden administration will do. I don't even know if the Biden administration knows what it would do in that type of situation. We got to go back a couple weeks ago when uh, Biden came back from a trip to Michigan. Reporters asked him about the Taiwan situation. And he said, essentially, don't worry. I've had a phone conversation with Xi Jinping. And he agrees to the, quote unquote, Taiwan agreement. Now, in official U.S. discourse, Lou, there is no such thing as the Taiwan Agreement. There is um, the three communiques, Reagan's six assurances, the Taiwan Relations Act, and our one China policy. When Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson, was asked, what is the Taiwan Agreement? Ned Price just went through all of those. Um, in other words, what the State Department was trying to tell the American people was that Xi Jinping agreed to the American formulation of Taiwan policy. That can't be true. In other words, the Biden administration's not leveling. It's not telling the truth to the American people. And therefore, we've got to be really concerned what it would do if there were to be the advent of hostilities across the Taiwan Strait. Are you absolutely without hope that the Biden administration and the U.S. government it now controls uh, will do anything to protect U.S. military, technology, business secrets, and intellectual property from the Chinese as they continue to, to plunder uh, the American economy and society? Well, the Biden administration has taken some steps to do that, but they're wholly inadequate considering the circumstances. And President Trump, um, started to impose some severe measures on uh, China and Chinese entities. And the Biden administration has sort of let up and taken its foot off the accelerator. And that's really unfortunate because the situation has gotten worse during the last several months. And I think the Biden administration would be very well advised to look at the President Trump's playbook on this. And certainly one of the... Uh the waypoints uh, to look at uh, for all Americans as we navigate these troubled times will be what the Biden administration does to secure both Taiwan, our national security, and prevent the Chinese from taking further, further uh, advantage of what has been a benign U.S. posture toward the outright aggression of the Chinese Communist Party. Gordon, as always, it is uh, greatly informative and educational to talk with you and uh, always to talk with a good friend. Thanks so much, Gordon. Gordon, Well, Jay. thank you so much, Lou. Turning now to our next guest. No president since Franklin Roosevelt has arguably accomplished more in one term than did Donald Trump. No president since Abraham Lincoln, however, has been more harassed, harangued, hounded, and persecuted by the Democratic Party. The radical left, it's now clear, conspired with the campaign of Trump's 2016 opponent, Senator Hillary Clinton, to stop his election, and then to try to overthrow his presidency. Democrat harassment and persecution, of course, has not ended with the president's departure from the White House. And in my opinion, the Republican Party is doing far too little to defend the man who was subjected to two unsuccessful efforts to impeach him and to an almost two-year-long special counsel investigation. 
both, as the former president said, were hoaxes. Joining us now, a man who supported the president throughout his four years, first as chairman of the Freedom Caucus, and then as the 29th White House Chief of Staff, former Congressman Mark Meadows. Good to have you with us. And your reaction to what surprised our intelligence agencies and our Department of Defense every bit as much as uh, the, uh, the average American woman uh, and man walking the streets of America. Well, Lou, uh, it's great to be with you. And, and sadly, it was a surprise to our intelligence community, but it wasn't a surprise to one particular person. That's Donald J. Trump. I happened to be in, in the uh, Oval Office uh, when he was talking with uh, both some of his CIA briefers and uh, military advisors. And he said, listen, we've got to, we've got to be very vigilant. They're, they're going to be able to uh, use hypersonic missiles in a way that, uh, according to him, uh, are 17 times faster than anything else that we've seen. And, uh, and they kind of just, uh, you know, gave him the, the gentle uh, push off uh, where they acted like, well, that, that's fine, Mr. President, but that's not something we need to worry about. And so obviously today they're worrying about it. And the American people, the people that are tuned in right now should be worried about it uh, because it's one more, um, uh, you know, I guess, uh, step up that ladder where we look at China and Russia is is really uh, battling for supremacy. But China in particular, when you, you look at whether it's on, as you mentioned, the artificial intelligence side of things or hypersonic missiles, uh, or just bluntly trying to control rare earth minerals uh, for everything that we do, uh, they are, are putting themselves right in the center of the supply chain, and, uh, and they need to be taken seriously. And as you know, Lou, uh, they, they don't have a whole lot of respect for Joe Biden. They fear Donald Trump, and they don't fear uh, Joe Biden or this administration. And, and to, that, uh, to that point, Vladimir Putin, a few days ago, said quite simply that the Chinese do not need, would not be required to invade Taiwan to take it over. Your thoughts about that comment and what it might augur? Well, I mean, obviously, as Taiwan starts to get mentioned more and more, whether it's by Russia and Vladimir Putin, you know, talking about certainly their ability to control what goes in and out of of Taiwan, literally, uh, figuratively, and logistically, they they can control that. Uh, the only thing that's been holding them back has been a strong U.S. presence and, and quite frankly, a, a strong U.S. position. Now, while that U.S. position hasn't changed, obviously, the resolve within the White House has changed. And, and when you start seeing uh, apology tour 2.0 is what I call it, where Joe Biden is going out and trying to be one of one of the good old boys, uh, just uh, slapping uh, you know our European and foreign leaders on the back, uh, pretending to be an equal. We're not an equal, Lou, as you know it. Uh, America is not only known for its greatness, but for its strength, both economically and on the military uh, side of the equation. And and we need to act like it. And and along with that comes great responsibility. But uh, you know, you see how provocative Russia got with Crimea and some of the the areas in and around Russia. 
uh, I, I fully expect that we'll start to see uh, that happening more and more with China, uh, in addition to you know their presence in the in the China Sea um, realm. And as as we've learned over the course of the, particularly the past two decades, uh, the economy is the foundation of national security. We're on the verge, many economists fear, of stagflation. Uh, inflation is reaching uh, levels not seen for more than a decade now. And the, the prospect of stagflation is concerning many of those economists. At the same time, Joe Biden is push, pushing a $3.5 trillion spending bill, uh, call it infrastructure, call it a, a, a payoff uh, to blue states, call it what you want. Uh, we are looking at $30 trillion in national debt and limiting uh, our children and our grandchildren's futures uh, immensely. Uh, we're also uh, diminishing our own prospects for prosperity uh, in the next year uh, and, uh, and beyond. Your thoughts about Joe Biden, his economics, his politics, and uh, the difference between what the GOP uh, is uh, considering uh, as the future and particularly uh, a fellow by the name of Donald Trump. Well, Lou, uh, you know, it's interesting that you you uh, talk about the economics part of that. And for those that are tuning in, perhaps they know uh, Lou Dobbs from, uh, you know, some of your previous roles, or maybe they're just tuning in uh, to this particular uh, uh, broadcast and podcast. Uh, but, but you can speak to that probably as well as anybody, uh, not only in uh, – New York or Washington, D.C., but but certainly speaking to what ultimately it will do to our nation's economy. And, and, and so here's here's my take on it. Uh, the only thing that Joe Biden has is to spend more money. He doesn't have policy that people will will come around. In fact, most of his policy, uh, he's uh, having a difficult time implementing it. Uh, he gets beat up by unaffiliated voters uh, and Republican voters alike uh, in terms of what he's doing in foreign policy on the border uh, with regards to oil prices. And so his answer to that is, is let's spend trillions of dollars that we don't have. Let's borrow it from China and other other uh, uh, people in, in the world. But the the sad part about that is, is there's two groups of people that love to spend money in Washington, D.C., Lou. It's Democrats and Republicans, and and uh, therein is the problem. So there's a number of us that are fighting back uh, privately, and I appreciate you raising it because what we have to do is slow this process down. Uh, you know, it's whether it's thirty trillion dollars in debt, or whether it's another uh, three to five trillion dollars in additional spending. You and I both know. Um, uh, unfortunately, both of us have enough gray hair to remember uh, the Jimmy Carter days and and what happened with interest rates and inflation rates and and uh, and candidly, an economy that was uh, uh, just in, in in tatters until you know a, a guy by the name of Ronald Reagan came along. Uh, Donald Trump recognized this very well. And while he was willing to spend money and willing to put uh, some uh, money in the economy when when we had the artificial shutdown during COVID, uh, you know, this is this has been just uh, 
really an addiction by the Democrats to say just more, more, more spending. And yet when you talk even to Democrats, their fear is that Washington, D.C. will spend too much money. Uh, at the same time, they're voting for some of these people that uh, are out there uh, pushing it. Here, here's, here's my take and what I think will happen. Sure. I think at the end of the day, um, I, I think that there will be enough sand that will be put in the gears that uh, the, the ultimate package that passes will probably still be an obnoxious $2 trillion or uh, slightly oh. above that. But it will pass. And what will happen is, is that they will actually play around with some of the length of the programs. And, and by playing around with it, what they'll do is instead of saying that this is a five-year program that we're funding, we're only going to fund it for six months or nine months. And so the problem is they'll institutionalize a lot of these social programs, bringing the price tag down. But knowing that Congress will never push back in it, and so it's essentially still passing a five to seven trillion dollar package, just doing it with uh, bows and ribbons that make it seem to be a li little bit more appealing than it is. Uh, I can tell you the conservative partnership we're working with conservative senators uh, and, and even uh, some moderate Democrats uh, on the House side to try to uh, show how it's going to affect those people that are coming along, but uh, but it is a scary time. Anytime that Congress is in session, uh, the American people are, are uh, potentially in harm's way. Without question, and, and everyone listening to your voice right now, I'm sure uh, hair stood up uh, on end for them uh, as it did me, because the idea of five to seven trillion dollars, uh, it means not only that the radical Dems have gone mad, but the rhino leadership of both the House and the Senate uh, will be accomplices in this uh, in this fiscal disaster. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And if we let them do that, uh, Lou, there should be consequences at the ballot box, even for the Republican side of the aisle. And and that is the contest now. You were saying earlier there are only two parties that are interested in spending more: Republicans and Democrats. But there is a there is a, a fifth column effect, if you will, uh, for for rhinos who take up seats uh, in the Senate and the House with uh, R's uh, next to their their names and titles. Uh, it, it's it's getting very disturbing to think of the power. Uh, that uh, that is uh, the power void left by the president, uh, not in the White House and the rhinos. Mitch McConnell has suddenly very emboldened, uh, talking very big about what he wants done. Uh, and will he succeed? Well, uh, generally, uh, Mitch McConnell has not been one that has been long on delivery. He's been long on rhetoric and not as much on the delivery side of the equation as you and I both know. Uh, you know, um, I've got a, a book that's coming out in the, in the not too distant future called The Chief's Chief. And, and in there, I talk about how it's so disappointing. It was so disappointing for, for President Trump. Uh, because he thought that everybody with uh, on the Republican side would unify, come together and fight, especially if he was willing to fight. And yet some of the biggest opposition that we get actually comes from our side of the, the aisle. And so uh, we need to put some real pressure. You, you heard what uh, 
uh, Mitch McConnell said about the debt ceiling and that he's not going to give the, the votes the next time around. Well, that's what they always say. They always say, we're not going to give you the votes just after they pass something where they gave them the votes. And, uh, you know, this was 11 people. Uh, here, here was my take on it. They shouldn't have, have given it. I, I'm not one that believes that we should default on our debt. Uh, you and I both believe that we've, we've got to make sure that we have sound fiscal uh, policy. But here's the interesting thing. The Democrats could have done that on their own. It, had they done it on their own, it would have taken up weeks and weeks of calendar time. So instead of them debating a three or five trillion dollar uh, stimulus, uh, the way that they would put it, uh, instead of them debating this whole new package of, of leftist uh, wishes, they would have been tied up on doing the debt ceiling, and it would have uh, allowed us to, to move the debate at least into January of next year. The closer you get to election, the more, less accountable any politician wants to be. And so it was a, a, a bad strategic uh, and tactical move. Uh, and yet, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think some of the Republicans, even some that you would put in the more squishy category, got very, very nervous about uh, giving Democrats a vote. Well, that's that list, unfortunately, of Republicans, I think of as somewhat squishy, as you put it. Uh, it seems uh, to be getting longer by the by the week. Uh, I, the idea that uh, rhinos right now have so much influence within the Republican Party. The establishment Republicans are the essence of uh, Republicans in name only, in my judgment. Uh, the RNC controlled by the establishment uh, Republicans, uh, pretending as they have so often uh, to be uh, supporting Donald Trump uh, and America first policies. Uh, what what will happen? Are we going to see this uh, this conflict break into open warfare in the Republican Party? Well, uh, we could, but I will say that at least even some of the more establishment swampy Republicans realize that Donald Trump is still very, very popular across the country. Uh, Absolutely. You, know, you mentioned, you know, I've been traveling all over the country, and the, the biggest thing that people want us to deal with is making sure that we have uh, – well, six words uh, that it's easy to vote and hard to cheat and, and that we need to put into places, you know, an audit program and making sure that only uh, those votes that should be counted get counted. And, and that's the number one issue. But the number two issue uh, literally is. Are you for Donald Trump or not? And uh, I can tell you, you can tell that the swamp realizes that Donald Trump brand and he continues to sell because uh, the NRSC, which is the uh, uh, National Republican Senatorial Committee, which raises money primarily for McConnell handpicked candidates, continues to use the president's name uh, each and every day. I mean, volumes of emails. In fact, so many that I get emails from people saying, why, why is the president letting them use his picture and pretend like that they're on his side when they're not, uh, which is a valid question. And, uh, and yet I think at the end of the day, they thought that Donald Trump would go away and that uh, quote, they could get their party back. Uh, but the, the, the party is forever changed and it's the, the party of the forgotten man and woman and Donald J. Trump is going to stick around to remind us of that. 
One of the great battles out there right now is uh, is for money, donors, uh, time, ten, attention, and uh, and uh, moolah. Uh, it's it, it's uh, actually a re- reaching a pace I've seldom seen this early, uh, going into either a, a, a congressional election or a presidential election. This is really tough stuff, and I'm hearing a lot of talk about how tough uh, the president's people are being uh, and how, uh, well, how <laughs> irresponsible other fundraisers are being. It's what's going to happen here, because this looks like an all-out battle for donor money in the Republican Party itself. Well, it is. And and obviously, the Democrats are raising uh, a, a lot of money as well. But you're right. It, it's interesting you point that out, Lou, because uh, you and I have uh, – you know, it's not our first or second rodeo. We've been around to see a few rodeos and, and in doing so, uh, what, what I'm finding is the uh, insane amount of money that's being raised, uh, for candidates, uh, both on the Senate side, but even on the house side, I mean, uh, some of the, the money that's being raised, uh, these are levels that, uh, not only I've never seen, but they're levels that actually would be hard, unless you're having an all out battle uh, for the hearts and souls of, of the American people. Uh, it, it is uh, well, part of that is, is Biden is driving part of that because they're seeing how could it got, have gotten this bad this quickly uh, mm-hmm. with Joe Biden. And so that's driving part of it. The other part is they say, well, gosh, we just need to take over one branch of the government. So they're going to give on the Senate side. They're going to give on the house side, uh, but they do, do need to be prudent. I, I can tell you the, the uh, president Trump and his team and uh, his affiliated uh, uh, fundraising mechanisms uh, are trying to make sure that they save those hard uh, earned dollars for the right fight at the right time. Uh, sadly, a lot of times that doesn't happen in Washington, D.C., as you know, but I do think it will be a battle for a few states and uh you know, uh, you, you, we all know what that short list of states might be, but uh, uh, it, it's not boding well for Democrats uh, because of the amount of money flowing into to Republican coffers. And one of the conflicts has not gone away, and that is between the national left-wing media and the Republican Party and, and Donald Trump. There's as much acrimony, as much uh, outright hatred. Uh, of the former president as ever, it seems, there. But he's winning those battles when it comes to the test of time and truth. Uh, he's been proved right on trade. He's been proved right on Biden. Uh, he's been proved And even right. on a hypersonic missile that you and I <laughs> exactly. talked about. You know, but you're right. He is winning those battles, but it it, it comes at a real cost. You know, what happens is the, the left-wing media is trying to make any mention of Donald Trump toxic. Uh, so even some of the people who quietly will come up and whisper to me, you know, keep, keep going, you know, tell the president we love him and to, to, you know, to stay fully engaged. They're doing that a lot more quiet than they did before. So it is having an impact, you know, there's fewer MAGA and make America great hats out there being worn. And yet I can tell you just traveling the country, there are more and more people that, uh, still would uh, be glad to do a boat parade or wear that MAGA hat uh, had had they not had uh, you know the left wing media coming after them each and every day. And the left wing media now is they've been 
hoisted on their own petard, goes the old uh, saw or cliche, if you prefer. Uh, CNN uh, caught with, uh, you know, in, in every kind of uh, misrepresentation. I'll be kind and avoid the use of the, the word lie. Uh, they, they are there for all to see. The same is true of MSNBC. Uh, the, I think truly the American people are wise to what they are and what they've become and what they intend, apparently, irrespective of whether Donald Trump is president or not. They intend to uh, carry on the politics of media destruction. Well, and that's a sad part about it, because journalism, even if it had a, a left leaning uh, or a right leaning kind of uh, tilt, used to be all about getting the facts and making sure that you have, uh, you know, your sources down and that you do your fact checking. Now what we have are, you know, people, you've got groups like CNN who will do their own fact checking on their own fact checking so that that way they can authenticate it and say that it's been fact checked now. And, and, and yet they're playing to a smaller and smaller audience, Lou. And that's, uh, you know, that's the interesting thing is, is you and I will probably be listened to more uh, on this particular medium, then then CNN will have uh, on one of their peak days, you know, and and uh, when you see that, uh, you know, it, it's it's less than a million people now that that are tuning in because they they want something that's authentic uh, and and candidly, even on the CNNs, and they're hiring all kinds of reporters. But they'll go only with one source. And, you know, Lou, when you go with one source, you get one opinion. You, you, uh, it is a real journalistic uh, faux pas, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, there is something in the trade. One source is never enough. And many times two sources is uh, not adequate. Uh, I've actually been in a situation where I had uh, two sources on a very important national security. I won't go into it story. Uh, and both... Uh, both of those sources turned out to be wrong. And that's, a, you know, that's just something that happens. But there is no humility in the media now. You can be wrong, admit you're wrong, correct it and move on. But they don't care about being wrong. And in fact, uh, CNN and MSNBC, it seems to me at least those two uh, are intent upon being wrong. And that's uh, what they prize uh, is their perspective and their ideology above, above fact and reality. Well, they, they uh, may apologize, but they only uh, apologize if it's a major faux pas. I mean, if it's a interpretation, the way that they view it. And, and, and that may be unfair to some of the reporters over there, uh, you know, some of the people that you and I both know. But when you look at, at their their uh, normal lineup, even if they make a mistake, it is uh, conditioned in such a way that they try to present it as not a mistake, or they made the mistake because uh, uh, a, a rational person would have viewed it that way. Listen, it, it's all about the reason why uh, journalists uh, continue to lose support broadly is yeah. because people want the truth. And that's uh, what I appreciate, appreciate about you, bringing, bringing forth uh, different perspectives and uh, letting the people decide for themselves. Well, I appreciate you uh, saying that, and uh, I, I take that as a high compliment. Uh, and I want to uh, say to everyone listening, Mark Meadows is on this podcast because he's one of those people who talks straight, uh, is a, a, a devout patriot, and 
I always learn something from him and uh, appreciate your time, Mark, being with us. I want to give you the last word here, if I may. Uh, the half of America right now is trying to figure out what happened on uh, on Election Day in 2020. And we also have people wondering why 700,000 Americans uh, died as a result of uh, COVID-19, why we continue to have a border that's not secured, and that uh, literally this year, about 2 million illegal immigrants will come into the country. Uh, we have a government that in the minds of many Americans, if not most, is simply out of control. Is that going to change enough for Republicans to take back uh, the Congress, the, the Senate uh, in 2022? You know, uh, great question, and I'll finish with this. Here, here's the, the concern that I have. Uh, uh, we can we need to continue to work on the election integrity side of the equation there's a whole lot of people that are disenchanted and believe that they were disenfranchised uh in the november 3rd uh election of 2020 and so we need to continue to work on that to to make sure that we have that however the other issues that you mentioned whether it's uh people coming across the border illegally you know to the tune of you know two million a, a year or some of the uh, the other issues where Joe Biden seems to turn a blind eye. In fact, I would say is turning a blind eye. Uh, will actually have a, a more positive effect on people turning out. Uh, you have to look backwards. Uh, you have to look at what uh, China did in this whole COVID pandemic. Hold them accountable. You have to look at supply chains. You have to make sure that that China doesn't control everything that we buy and purchase and consume, and yet. Uh, the Biden administration is uh, AWOL, absent without leave. And, and uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that patriots across the country, those that are tuning in right now, will, will continue to stand up and uh, stay engaged. We faced difficult things in the past, and we will face difficult things in the future. Uh, but there will always be leaders who will come along and, and say the forgotten man and woman needs to be the, uh, the voice uh, for what is right and for freedom. And, and I'm optimistic that that'll happen. Mark, great having you with us, Mark Meadows. We thank you so much. Senior partner at the Conservative Partnership Institute, and he has a new book called The Chief's Chief. It comes out uh, in December. You can order it. Pre-order that book at Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, in bookstores, worthy bookstores all over the country. The <laughs> Thanks, Chief. Thanks, Lou. Appreciate it. Take care. God bless. You too, Mark. Thanks so much. Mark Meadows. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered Internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement of the restrictions apply.